You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Well, friends, welcome this morning. My name is Spencer, and I am the pastor here. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 28 today. This is part four of four. So this is the last week of a series called Go, where we have been exploring the very famous passage of Scripture called the Great Commission. It's the last paragraph in the book of Matthew, and it, it details our work together. And, and the reason we've been on the series, and I've shared with you the last few weeks, is because when I started on July 1st, I then did a listening tour for eight weeks through the summer, and we met. I met with about well over 200 people in 19 different sessions. We were asking questions about the church, and then at the end of each one, because it was geared for me to listen, not to be talking, but at the end of each session, I'd, I'd always ask folks what questions they have for me, and by far the biggest question I always got was, what's your vision for the church? What, what's my vision for the church? And so this series is born out of that question of, of what's my vision for the church. As I've shared with you the last few weeks, it's not when I say vision for the church, I, I don't have charts and graphs and strategic plans and things like that. I'm just wanting to share with you some of the basic ideas that drive me as a pastor that uh, are reasons and things that, that I think Jesus calls us to do. And, and not just us as, as Schweitzer, but really just Every follower of Jesus is called to this work that we're exploring here and, and, and unpacking what this means for us and maybe exploring and dreaming a little bit about how God wants to use us um, in our community, in the world. And so we're reading this, this passage, the Great Commission, very famous passage, and here's how it goes. Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples, eleven because Judas is no longer there, so then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the great commission that we've been reading each week. Now, as we've gone through here, we've looked at different parts of it. Each week we've, we've looked at the same passage, and so then we're just looking at different parts of it each week. We started this out in chapter or in, in week one with, with, uh, with a word about this all authority in heaven on earth that, that's been given to Jesus. And really this is shorthand for, for the resurrection and the empty tomb. And so Jesus says, because of the, the, the tomb is empty, therefore, we need to go and make disciples. The work that we do is grounded in the truth of the empty tomb. The empty tomb is the whole reason for the church. And we don't believe that just metaphorically. We believe that the tomb is actually empty. And so, therefore, we are called to do work because, because Jesus is, is actually alive. Week two, we looked at this call of, of going to the nations, all the nations. And we said, that this is for everyone, that, that Jesus is calling us to go to absolutely everyone. That there's no one who's excluded from this invitation. There's no one who's too far gone or who's a lost cause or a lost hope, but this is for absolutely everyone. And so we are called as a church 
to go to, to everyone and share this, this, and this good news, this invitation of, of following Jesus. Last week, week three, we, we looked at this phrase of make disciples, and we talked about how making disciples is not the same thing as making converts. We're not just trying to get people to, to raise their hand or say a certain prayer or anything like that. We, we want to introduce people to the full life that's found in Jesus Christ, the full life that, of transformation that he offers us. And so as we wrap this up this week, we're going to look at this last phrase of the Great Commission. It goes like this, where Jesus says, um, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, there is a temptation when it comes to the Great Commission and how famous this is. There is a temptation to take the first sentence and the last sentence of the Great Commission and kind of set them aside and to focus all of our attention on the middle sentence. Remember, the middle sentence was this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. That's the middle sentence. And there's a, there's a temptation to, to focus all of our attention right there because that's what, what we have to do. And uh, this is the work that, that we're called to do. We're called to go and do these things. But, but I want to point out that there is this um, promise, there is this structural uh, way that the Great Commission is put together that, that is incredibly, vitally important if we're going to really understand this work that Jesus has called us to do. So, so to get here, I want us to look at just simply the structure of the Great Commission to begin with. So it starts off, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It ends with, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And in the middle is this line, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. So the middle is the work that we're called to do, and yet the start and the finish, the beginning and the end, is all about Jesus. It starts with the authority of Jesus. It ends with the promise that Jesus is with us. There's, a, there's an importance here that the beginning and the end, the Great Commission begins and ends with the promise of what Jesus does with us. Which, by the way, just kind of sidebar, the whole Gospel of Matthew is structured in the same way. Remember, it starts with this, the, the Christmas story. We'll read it in December. The, the angel shows up to Joseph. Joseph's wondering if he should get married to, to Mary because she's pregnant. And uh, Matthew quotes from Isaiah the prophet. And you remember what Matthew, the quote is this. It says that the, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which is God with us. That's how the book begins. It ends with, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Like the structure of Matthew is this reminder of a promise that Jesus is always with us. The Great Commission follows the exact same structure. It starts off with the authority of Jesus. It ends with the promise of Jesus' presence with us. The Great Commission beginning to end, it's about Jesus. And it's about what Jesus does. And, and, and yet sometimes there's a temptation that we have that, that we kind of forget the beginning and the end and we focus in on that middle sentence, therefore go and make disciples. And what happens is when we focus in on that middle sentence, and that's, that's all we really talk about, uh, there's a, there arises a temptation to start to think that this work that we have um, is about us and not about Jesus. In reality, it's about Jesus and less about us. But there becomes a temptation to start to think that it's about us. And, and you can tell you're living into this temptation when, when you start to feel certain ways about making disciples. For instance, have you ever been in a conversation where the Lord shows up in the conversation, people start talking maybe about faith or, or theology, and, and you realize that maybe you have an opportunity to say something about the goodness of God or give a witness about what God has done, and uh, your palms get sweaty? And you get really nervous 
and you think to yourself, I need to be really brave right now, and I need to say whatever I need to say, and you just, you just get so nervous because you have this moment, and it's like at Thanksgiving, and you don't really want to ruin Thanksgiving dinner, but like you're in this moment. Or, or have you ever been in a conversation where the Lord comes up in a conversation, people start talking about theology, faith, and you have a chance to give a witness, and, and you get like sweaty palms, and you don't say something, and you wish you had, and then you get back in your car, and you're driving home, and you're thinking about all the things you could have said. Is, it, is anyone ever, it's like, a few of you have, right? We've all had those experiences. And, and you know what you're feeling right there is you're feeling this, this pressure that I have to go do something. And it's this pressure that, that I have to go convert these people or I have to go and, and produce this result and I have to go do this. But, but, but I want you to remember, the Great Commission and this work that we have together, it begins and ends with Jesus, not us. And this work is is not about us. It's not about what we do. It's not about what we accomplish. It's not about what we can achieve. It is about how God is going to move through us, not what it is that we do. And so we start to find ourselves feeling like pressured or maybe guilty that we're not doing these things because we're focusing in on the wrong place. The Great Commission begins and ends with Jesus. I'm going to say that again. The Great Commission begins and ends with Jesus. And when you see how this is structured like this, and, and when you see how this promise works like this, we can begin to take a different approach to sharing our faith and making disciples. We can begin to take an approach that, that instead of trying to force things and make things happen, we can instead rely upon the Lord in the middle of this work. Let me show you what I mean. Let me give you a great example of this. We're going to read another story in the Bible, the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 8. It's an incredible illustration, a credible story of how the Great Commission looks in action when we understand that Jesus is the beginning and the end of this work that we do together. Acts chapter 8. If you're not familiar with the book of Acts, Acts is the story of the early church. It's the story of how the first Christians went from about a dozen people to, to millions of people, how the, the church spread from this little place in Jerusalem to all the world and, and how it became this, this force that changed history. It's the story of how this happened. The Holy Spirit came upon some people at the very beginning of the book and because the Holy Spirit came on them, they all of a sudden were courageous and they started to take all kinds of risk and they started to spread and share this message. And, and so Acts chapter eight tells the story of one of these people who who is filled with the Holy Spirit and starts to take this, this message to new people. And here's how it goes. We're going to start reading in verse 26. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. It says, An angel of the Lord said to Philip. So we're going to read here about Philip. If you're not familiar with who Philip is, Philip is not one of the apostles. Philip is not one of the original disciples. In fact, uh, we first meet Philip in Acts 6. And, and what they're doing in Acts 6 is they're giving out jobs, and Philip is assigned the job of, of delivering food to people so that the apostles can go preach. In other words, Philip is one of the people, when they looked at him, they thought, let's not give him a microphone. Like, that's, that's not who he is. And so Acts 8 is, is a story of how God uses everybody. It's not just apostles. It's not just the ones with microphones. God uses everybody because, because God is at work through everybody. So God uses everybody. Now, an angel of the Lord, it says to Philip, and here's what the angel said to Philip. Go south to the road, the desert road, the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. That's all the Lord said to Philip. Go south down the road to the desert road, the road that goes from uh, Jerusalem to Gaza. And, and we don't give any details. It doesn't say you're going to go this far, this many miles. You're going to be there for this long. You're going to be doing this kind of work. It's just go that way. 
And if you've ever followed the Lord and you feel like the Lord is leading your life, I can't tell you how familiar this feels to what it feels like to be led by God. I, I don't know what the Lord's telling me, but I just feel like we're supposed to go this way sometimes. That's what it feels like to be led by God. I just feel like God wants me to do this or that. I don't have all the details or all the answers figured out. I don't have a five-year plan, but I just feel like God wants us to go this way. So that's what happens to Philip. And so here's what Philip does. He started out. <laughs> I love it. He started out. He doesn't ask about all the details and the questions and, and how to get everything answered. He just says, Philip started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Now, what we know about this man is that he's searching. We might call him a seeker. He's not yet a believer. He's just kind of pursuing things. In the first century, they called these people God-fears, that, that he's somebody who's searching for this. In verse 29, Here's what Philip's told to do. It says, the, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. The spirit does not say, Philip, go preach to that man. The spirit, spirit does not say, Philip, go convert that man. Does not say, Philip, go and, and, and share with this man. Just simply says, Philip, go and be near this man. This is the great commission in action right here. Philip is told, go that way. He doesn't have all the details. He doesn't know the work he's supposed to be doing. He doesn't know how long it's gonna take. He doesn't know how many clothes to pack. He doesn't have the details worked out. He doesn't know how much it's gonna cost or anything like that. It's just the Spirit said that way, and so he goes. And then, and then the Spirit says, now just, just go be near that person. Just, just, just be around him. It doesn't say go preach to him. It doesn't say go and share him. It doesn't say go and convert him. It doesn't say go and convince him. It just says just go be near that person. This is, this is the great commission in action because what it, Philip is demonstrating to us is he's demonstrating that, that he knows that Jesus is the begin and the end of this work, that Jesus is the one who sins, that Jesus is the one who's at work, that Jesus is the one who does these things, not Philip that the responsibility for this man's faith is not on Philip, but rather it's on Jesus. Because here's the, like, the unspoken, rarely preached truth about sharing our faith, is we're not very good at it. And we have very little success with it. And, it, and that's okay. Like You're not very good at it, I'm not very good at it, and the reason we're not very good at it is because there is one who is good at it, and his name is Jesus. And what the scripture tells us is that Jesus is the one who's responsible for people trusting in Jesus. For instance, in Acts 16, another story like this, Paul is preaching to a woman, actually lots of people, and there's this woman named Lydia. And in Acts 16, verse 14, the scripture says that, that the Lord opened Lydia's heart to Paul's message. I just think that's fascinating. Or another place, uh, second, or 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is Paul again, but Paul says that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. This, this work that is, that is happening in people's lives, this, this uh, making of disciples that we do, it's, it's not because we do it. It's because the Lord is at work in people's lives, and the Lord is the one who is he's drawing people to himself, and, and, and that God is the one who's, who's seeking to, to expand his work and his influence, and he, he, he uses us. But, but God is the one who's doing that. In theological terms, we call this idea, we call this prevenient grace that God is at work in everyone's life. And that all of those folks in your life who you love, who are far from him, the idea of prevenient grace is that God is at work in their life. And that there's no one whose God is not at work. And so sometimes, 
you know, we think that we have to go and take this to people, but the truth is that God is already at work in everyone's life because God wants everyone to find him. A theologian, George Stroop, he says it like this. I love this quote. He says, too often churches have understood themselves to be taking God to a godless world rather than following God into a world in which God is already redemptively present. Like, he's already at work in the world. He's already moving in people's lives. He's already doing this. And so Philip, for instance, Philip hears this, this news. Hey, go that way. I can go that way because I know God's at work. Go be near that chariot. Go be near, I, I can go be near that chariot. I can do this because God is already at work. And I can, I can understand that this work begins and it ends with Jesus. It's, it's not about me and what I can produce. It's about what Jesus is already doing in the world in this, and in this person's life. And so let's go back to Acts 8 and keep reading here and, and see, um, see how this, this starts to take place. So the Spirit told Philip, go stay near that chariot. And here's what Philip did, verse 30. It says, Philip ran. <laughs> I love it. He doesn't walk. He doesn't take his time. He ran up to the chariot. He ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. Verse 31, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and, and sit with him. And let's get down to verse 34. It says, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Philip is this incredible, to me, example of what the Great Commission looks like in action. From beginning to end, this work is about Jesus. It's about how Jesus is calling Philip to go do something, and, and Philip's role in the whole operation is, is quite small. Uh, he's just being responsive to what it is that God leads him to do. Go down the road, he goes down the road. Go meet deer in the chariot, so he goes and he bees, he's, he's with the chariot. And, and when he's with the chariot, he just hears this man reading from Isaiah the prophet, and what does he do? He just asks a simple question, just, just probes it just a little bit, just, just a little simple question. Do you understand what you're reading? And and the Lord is already at work in this person's life. And so Philip is able to, to step into the situation and to share this good news with him. I love this story. From beginning to end, we see that the Great Commission is about the work that Jesus is already doing. And what we learn when we look at this and this idea that Jesus is already at work in the world, he's already at work in the people around us. What we learn from this is that you and I are kind of bit players in this whole story that God is doing. We are not the linchpin of the operation. He is. We are not the ones that this is dependent upon. He is. It's just he wants to use us in this work that he's doing. He wants to use us, and he's going to call us and lead us, and sometimes we're going to know what that looks like, and sometimes we're not, but this is the work that he wants us to do. He wants us to, to be faithful and to be obedient, which, by the way, the first step to becoming somebody who's good at making disciples. The first step to becoming good at sharing your faith. It's not about learning methods or reading books and having answers to all the different questions that might be out there. The first step, because if you recognize that Jesus is doing everything to begin with, the first step is when you start to pray. And there should be people in your life that you're praying for, people who don't know the Lord, and you should start praying for them, that God might open their hearts, that people might be sent to them, that relationships might be formed, that opportunities might work, because when someone comes to knowing Christ, what's happening there is it's a move of God. And so from beginning to end, what we see is that this whole work is about Jesus. It begins with his authority. It ends with a promise that he is with us, that he goes before us, and that he is already there in all of the work that he calls us to do. 
And so let's think about this for just a moment, about how it is that people come to faith. And I want to think about this in terms of two metaphors, because for me, as I've thought over the years about how people come to faith, how I've thought about this has shifted a little bit. There was a point in time where I thought about how people came to faith, and and a metaphor that I often thought about was um, that there's like a light switch that gets turned on in someone's life, and that it's like a toggle switch. It's either off or it's on, and that my job because of the great commission, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, that my job was to was like turn the switch on for somebody. Like it was my job to convince them. It was my job to make sure that the light got turned on. It was my job to like make that happen. And, and the longer I've done this work and the more I've heard people's stories and just even reflected on my own story, I've realized that that metaphor doesn't work very often at all. Like there are very few people who, who I, what I've talked to, who, who would say that in their life, there was this moment where it, the light switch was off, and then there was this moment where the light switch was flipped on. Like, that's just not very many people have that kind of story. That's kind of a Saul of Tarsus kind of story. Not many people have that. Instead, another way of thinking about this, instead of thinking about a light switch that gets turned on and, and then it's turned off, um, another, another way to think about this is, is maybe coming to faith is more like a dimmer switch. And over time, a dimmer switch gets turned on more and more and more and more. And it's not important like how long it takes or how the dimmer switch gets turned on. It's just important that the light gets turned on. And, and this is what I've seen is that more people can point back to their life before they knew Christ and they can point to different ways that the light slowly got turned on in their life. And this is, this is how this happened for them, that the light slowly got turned on. And as I think about this, uh, this approach that maybe coming to faith is more like a dimmer switch that slowly get turns on, to me, this helps reframe, well, what's my role in this? What's your role in this with other people? And instead of trying to convince people to turn the light on in their life, all of a sudden, maybe our role is just simply to help turn that dimmer switch on a little bit brighter in the people's lives around us. And that our role is, is to just slowly start to do that. And maybe sometimes we're going to be the people who turn that dimmer switch over that last little click like Philip did with the Ethiopian. And we can be the people who pray and, and help lead them to faith. Or, or maybe we're the people who just start the process to begin with. Or we're somewhere else in that, in that circle, that, that time frame. We get just to get to help slowly turn that dimmer switch on for somebody else. But, but we get to be used in that process. And, and so we think about the ways that we get to turn the dimmer switch on for somebody else. And, you know, maybe it's the way that we live our lives is the witness that we have of, of, of how we treat people. Maybe it's the way when, when we get to pray with people who are hurting, not just praying for them, but offering to pray with them, we're turning that dimmer switch on. Or, or maybe there's ways where we can just ask the right question at the right time. It's helping to turn that dimmer switch on. Or, or maybe it's just simply giving a word at the right time about what it is that God is doing, but we get to turn the dimmer switch on. What changes in our life if, if instead of thinking that we are the linchpin of the operation, we begin to say, you know what, this is first of all about Jesus. This is first of all about what he has accomplished and how he is already before us, how he is already doing what this work in the world to begin with. And, and my role and your role is simply to be used by him in ways that maybe just turn the dimmer switch on a little bit more. And so you might ask, Spencer, what's your vision for the church? And again, I don't have like charts. I don't have graphs. I don't have five-year plans or strategic plans or anything like that. But I, I think about this work that he's called us to. And I think about how he wants us to be a church that follows him because he's already at work in the world. And that means there's going to be times where, where maybe we're told to go this way and we've got to be faithful to go this way. Do we have all the details worked out? No. Do we have all the plans 
finalized? No, but it's just simply, we're going to go this way because this is what the Lord is calling us to do. We're going to be available to share with, with folks and, and to turn dimmer switches slowly on for people because we want to meet people where they're at in their life to be used by him and to find him. And so we want to be available for this. We want to be willing for this. We don't want to be tucked away thinking this is all on ourselves. We want, we want to be willing and available for God to use us to slowly turn the dimmer switch on. And, and we want to be a, a, a church that is, that is able to meet people wherever they're at. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of everyone, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This work that we are called to, friends, it begins and ends with Jesus. He is at work, and our job is simply to follow him. My vision for our church is simply that, that we would be faithful to follow him because he is already at work. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you have given us one another, that you've given us a work to be done, but, but we want to just confess this morning and lay aside the temptation to think that this is about us. This work isn't about us, it's about you. It's about what you want to do, it's about who you're calling us to reach, it's about how you're leading us forward, and, and it's not about us. So forgive us for the ways that we make it about us. Forgive us for the ways that we put pressure upon ourselves when really you're already at work in the world. And would you give us eyes to see the opportunities that you're putting before us that we could simply be faithful to you, faithful to your leading, faithful to your spirit, faithful to how you guide us, that we might be a church that meets people where they're at, that shares the good news in the right way in the right time, that, that the dimmer switch of people's lives gets turned on, and that we would be a church and that we would be individuals who are faithful to you in all that you lead us to. Give us eyes to see the work that you're doing around us. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.